We continue our series through the book of Romans today with chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. The great pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones, if you're familiar with him, he famously preached 372 sermons on the book of Romans, and it took him a 12 and a half year span to do so. And he didn't even finish the book. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to do that. This, <laughs> we're not going to do that. We, we thought about the 12-year plan. Uh, we're not going to do that. But you could spend your entire life mining the riches of just this one chapter. It really is remarkable. I ask your forgiveness then as I give a, a brief overview today because it is a large chunk I've titled this sermon, The Gospel According to Satan, because I want to compare and contrast God's truth with Satan's lies. And I want to show you how easy it is, how simple it is to get the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ wrong, and hopefully encourage everyone to get it right in the process. So here's the key points. If you're a note taker, here are the four key points for us today. First of all, the demonic gospel is terrible news, bad news. Second, good morals will not save you. Thirdly, we are Holy Spirit people. And fourthly, we are not slaves, but heirs. So if you'd like to follow along with me, it's a big chunk. We're going to be referring back to it throughout. So uh, keep the Bible open. Follow along with me. This is Romans 8, 1 through 17. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit." For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. What we have here in chapter Eight, really the first verse alone, is Paul's great conclusion to the summary of Christianity found in chapters 1 through 7. So everything we've been preaching on for weeks, this is the great summary of Christianity. Up to this point, Paul's argument has basically been this. God's holy, man's sinful, wrath is coming, it's being stored up, and because of that, we need a perfect Savior. 
Jesus Christ is crucified, risen from the dead. Justification now comes by faith in him. And sanctification comes through faith as an act of the Holy Spirit working within us. That's what Paul's saying. Therefore, therefore, because of all of that, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, before I say anything else about this, I want to show you just how simple it is to turn this into a demonic gospel. Listen to an incorrect way of reading this. There is therefore now no condemnation upon any man, despite how they should live. Is that good news? Is that what the text says? No, it's, it's actually wicked news. But you see, this is the message of Satan to the world. No condemnation, no judgment. You just do you. And, 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 and all the world says, hurrah, hooray. No condemnation. That's wonderful news. There's a growing group of ex-Christians. They call themselves deconstructionists. They take the Bible and they deconstruct it. And this is the sort of message they preach. They preach a crossless Christianity focused oftentimes on moralistic behavior. Just be a good person. You just do you and God will accept you as you are. The concept of a bloody Jesus having to die to pay for sins, it makes them ill. They don't like any of that. For them, the wrath of God is simply just a boogeyman. It's made up by Christians to scare people into belief. There's no judgment from God. There's no wrath from God because God is love. And therefore, he must simply only love. And he must only be accepting of all people. It's those awful Christians who are mean and nasty. I like Jesus. I just don't like that, that bride of his. It's not long ago at PCUSA, they asked the Gettys if they would change the lyrics of In Christ Alone. They didn't like from, for the wrath of God was satisfied. They wanted to change it to the love of God was satisfied. You see, God has no wrath to be satisfied. His love was satisfied. They don't like this idea that a righteous, holy, and perfect God might have any sort of judgment to give or any sort of justice or any sort of wrath towards his creation due to sin. Even on, on Facebook, many, many years ago, I asked this question on a poll. I said, I said, when you are saved as a Christian, what are you primarily, keyword primarily, saved from? And everyone answered, people answered on there, and, and they said, you're saved from sin. You're saved from ourselves. That was a popular one. We're saved from death. We're saved from shame and guilt, etc. But only one person nailed it. Only one person hit the nail on the head. He said, we are saved from God's wrath. You see, on the cross, because of our sin, because of our disobedience, because of our lack of righteousness, because of our guilt, Jesus died to save us from God's condemnation. So you can see how this false teaching has ruined thousands upon thousands of souls in the past, and it will continue if we let it to ruin millions more. These ministers of Satan are not finished. This teaching has helped to further callous the stony hearts of men for decades as they profess Christ with their mouths and then they live unrepentant lives of sin without any fear of judgment. Paul does not stop here, though. Look, at, look where he goes. He, he adds a qualifier. There is therefore now no condemnation, what? For those who are in Christ Jesus. And you see, this is a terrible truth of which I must profess, and it's that we are all born into this world 
under God's condemnation. We're all born into this world as sinners. And because of your sin and because of my sin, we're rightly and justly condemned by a holy and perfect God. Unless, Paul says, we are in Christ Jesus. And so the word here now, the word here now can be applied both equally to Christians and non-Christians. If you are in Christ today, rejoice. There is now, currently, present, no condemnation, truly. And for the unbeliever, there is now, presently, really, truly, only condemnation. There's wrath being stored up. John 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. It is as if even now there is a a rain cloud, a black cloud of God's wrath following his enemies about, following all of those who refuse Christ about. And there are signs everywhere, people pleading with them, ministers of the gospel telling them over and over, flee, flee, run to the rock of Christ, you will be saved. Instead, they hold up their philosophies, they held up their self-made doctrines like umbrellas under a lightning cloud of justice. They're storing up wrath. And when Christ returns, it will be a great and terrible day. I say these things with no glee or joy. It'd be much easier not to say such things. It'd be more popular. But I say them because they must be said and the loss must be told. They must be warned. I needed to hear this. All of us here needed to hear this at one point in our lives before we knew Christ. We needed to hear of the coming wrath. And if you're not a believer, then you are now under condemnation due to your sin. God's made himself known, and the Bible here in Romans says, you don't care. It says they don't care. They know he exists, and they hate him for it. God has shown us mercy and pity and patience. He's shown us all so much love without measure. And he calls us. He says, come, come, come and be saved. Come and see the face of my son, Jesus. And by not believing him, the Bible says we made God out to be a liar. If this describes you, if you know someone who it describes, this is terrible news. And everything else I'm going to say from here on is vitally important for you to listen to. It's important for your neighbors. It's important for your family. This is important for every single human being with a heartbeat on this earth. So I encourage you, listen, follow along, sit up straight, hear the good news. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. So by God's grace, may we all hear today. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now I want you to notice here at the very start, this doctrine of justification, meaning being justified, being God declaring us righteous in his sight, is the foundation for everything else. That takes place in the Christian life. Your justification is the foundation. It's the bedrock where everything else is built upon. Paul begins his discussion of our sanctification through the Holy Spirit by first talking about our justification before God. This is the problem. Sermons that leave out the cross, the crossless Christianity, which I talked about, will either become moralistic pep talks 
Where I say, come on, gang, we got to do it. Let's just go do it. Or self-righteous scoldings. If I miss the foundation, I'll say, you dirty sinners, you didn't try hard enough. Go try harder. But Paul starts by announcing instead the heavenly verdict of not guilty, which allows us to love God rather than resent him. Now we can love God and go love our neighbors freely without resenting him as some cruel taskmaster. I've said it before, but it's worth repeating. Every other single religion on earth has the symbol of scales and weights. It's all about scales and weights and earning your salvation, earning your way, karma and and all this stuff you're building up. Whereas Christianity has a cross. It's a cross and a crucified Savior and an empty tomb. Notice that the believer's status before God is given all at once at the moment of belief. It is as if the very instant you receive Christ as your Savior, your salvation is so secure. It is as if you have spent a thousand years in heaven already. That's how secure you are in Christ. You see, there are no super Christians here, only super sinners saved by a beautiful Savior. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It's through the law we become conscious of our sin before a holy God. This is why I had to start with that. We have to start with the guilty verdict because the, the needle of the law must pierce our hearts before the scarlet thread of the gospel can weave in. We have to make way for it. We have to feel the burden. We have to to recognize our fallen nature before a holy God. However, the problem with the law, and Paul talks about this at length, is that the law fails to bring about in us the righteousness and the holiness that God himself requires. And so for thousands of years, the law commanded, the law condemned lawbreakers, and the law pointed to a righteousness and a sacrifice That would someday come. We were waiting for that sacrifice. We were waiting for the perfect one. The one that would end all the other sacrifices. Romans 3.21 talks about this. But the law could never remove condemnation from sinners. That's why there had to be more animals. And more sacrifice. And more blood. And more blood. And more blood. To atone for sins. If there was going to come a day. When sinners and the ungodly could experience the blessed No condemnation. God was going to have to do it himself. He was going to do what sinners were unable to do on their own. He would have to condemn sin in the flesh and on the cross. That's exactly what we see happening. We see Jesus like a sponge absorbing all of God's wrath upon himself, bearing it forever. Casting it as far as the east is from the west that the Bible can truly say he remembers our sin no more. David says, Lord, if you kept a record, if you kept filing cabinets in heaven of my sins, who could stand? Who could stand? And so for those who cling to Christ as their savior, the wrath is exhausted. And Paul says, not guilty. No condemnation. And so the, so the law sets up God's expectations for us, but it can't give us the power to obey. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. He unites us to the living vine, who is Jesus Christ himself. This is why Paul can say that the spirit of life has set us free, again, set us free in Christ from the treadmill of works-based righteousness. Romans 3.20. 
Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, it's through the law we become conscious of our sin. So what Paul is saying here is simply this. You are free. You are saved. You are redeemed. There is now no condemnation. So stop living contrary to your actual reality in Christ. If the Son has set you free, then you are what? What does the Bible say? Free indeed. But free to do what? Free to do what? Well, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Martin Luther says this, God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. You see, this actually frees us to love our neighbor. It frees us from having to earn our salvation to the point where we know we are loved by God. And now we can, we can go tell others about that love. We want more people in. We want more, more family members. And this is such fantastic news. This, this is why the gospel is good news. It's why Paul in Romans 1.16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Modern evangelicals who don't, who don't get this are constantly taking their spiritual temperatures. Every day they wake up, did I lose my faith? Oh, last night I, I did some sinning. Did I lose my faith today? Is this it? Do I need to, to, do I need to re-invite Jesus into my heart? Was, was I so bad that he jumped out for a little bit? They're constantly checking their temperature from one hour to the next. This is why they're rebaptized and rededicated. And they're always coming up for every single altar call. And you say, didn't, didn't Bob accept Jesus 15 times by now? There's no assurance They have no assurance of salvation because they don't understand how good this news is. No condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. You see, sin has been dethroned in your life. Not because you did it. Not because you said, hey, sin, get off my throne. You're not king anymore. It's because Christ did it on the cross. He dethroned it in your life. So even though sin remains, it's no longer my master. It's no longer your master. I don't bow to its barking orders. I listen to Christ. We're now simply to live as God has declared us to be. We are to act as justified believers because we are justified believers. This leads us to our second point. Good morals will not save you. Romans 7, 3 through 8. Back in 2018, there was a Marist poll, and it asked people, what do you want to do this year? What's your goal for this year? And being a better person was the most popular answer for the New Year's resolution. I want to be a better person. But what on earth does that even mean? <laughs> what does that mean to be a better person? If, if 50 years ago I asked little kids, I said, now you be a, little, you be a good boy and you be a good girl, does, does 50 years ago, what that mean? Does that mean something completely different nowadays? Absolutely. Kids nowadays go, what? Be a good boy? What, what do you mean, be a good boy, be a good girl? You see, what does that mean to be a better person? Is it, is it just following whatever the culture tells you is good from one week to the next? The Bible says, due to our sin, that our best, on our best day, is filthy rags. There is no being a better person. So I want, you to, I want you to linger here on verse 8. What does verse 8 say? Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You see, God's law effectively functions like this. It says, here are God's holy and perfect requirements. Now go and do this. 
But it does not say, these will make you a better person. Go do these because these will make you just a good boy and a good girl. It says, be, he- be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. These are the house rules. In order to save us from this, in order to save us from our inability to keep the law, to save us from God's wrath, God the Son takes on human flesh, meaning a real human body. And he condemns sin in the flesh through his flesh on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So now those who are in Christ are no longer under condemnation of the law, but instead under the righteous law of Jesus. Again, here's another message from Satan. Here's how Satan uh, warps the gospel. He warps the good news. And it's sadly, this message is parroted by many well-intentioned believers. Here's the message. God loves everyone. You are all God's children. I'm sure you've heard this. I've heard it a thousand times, but it's not biblical. It's a lie. And it leads to false assurance. It's true that all people are God's creation. God made all things. He does indeed love the world. He made the world. He loves the world. But the Bible says only those who are born again by the Spirit are His children. Look at verses 6-7. through seven. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Sorry, I lost my place. Life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can not. You see, the unbeliever who is dead in their sins has a mind that is dead as well. It's hostile to God. It's not only that they don't submit to God's law, it's that they are physically unable to do so. They cannot submit to God's law. A dead man cannot do anything. A dead man cannot save himself. He must be born again. They're physically incapable of pleasing God. 1 John 3, 9 through 10 drives this home. Listen to what he says. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. But this it is, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So the Christian who is in Christ, therefore, is what Martin Luther called simul justus et peccator. That's Latin meaning simultaneously justified and yet a sinner. But this is not trading one slavery for another. This is trading slavery for adoption. The Christian is constantly in conflict with sin, but the verdict of no condemnation never changes. You don't need different good news as you live out the Christian life. This is the good news. You have received the Spirit, not achieved the Spirit. There is no condemnation for you now if you are in Christ Jesus. And Paul answers this. People, you know, the obvious argument is, well, so then shall we sin that grace may abound? And Paul, Paul says, it's impossible to do that. <laughs> no, no, you should not do that. You see, this gospel of grace is not a, a free license for lawlessness, and there's also no place for sinless perfectionism. Even during the Christian life, the Heidelberg Catechism says, we only gain a small step towards holiness. So we ask then, does God grade on a curve? 
Does he, does he take our F and he goes, well, I'll give him a passing grade. I'll, I'll bump it up a little bit. Is that, what, is that how the gospel works? Is that how grace works? Are we accepted based on our effort, even though it's small? No. No, Christ's righteousness covers our nakedness. In spite of the lack of spiritual victory you or I may experience, there's now no condemnation. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God gives us the perfect righteousness we need right at the start of our Christian walk. Not only as if we had never sinned, but as if we had loved God and our neighbor perfectly, just as Christ did. We are hidden in Christ. This is not a 10-step program towards becoming a saint, because the Bible says you already are saints. There is no magic prayer or magic Bible reading plan that will make Christ love you any more or any less than he does right this instant. Indeed, what does the Bible say? God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, 4. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? Becoming a new creation? Working his way to the new victorious Christian life? No, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There's a, uh, a comically sad news story that I just read, and you probably have seen it, about this family who moved to California. They bought their dream house in California. Maybe you've read about this. And the problem is they haven't moved in yet because the previous tenant has not moved out yet. So they bought this dream house, but they can't kick the tenant out because California passed a no eviction law. So they are living in Airbnbs and hotels. And meanwhile, this this guy is still paying rent to live in the house that they own that he sold. It's it's madness, right? It's utter it's utter madness. But isn't this true of the Christian walk? This is sort of like the eviction of the old man of sin. Christ has given him an eviction date. We know there is a time coming when this pesky smell of death that lingers about us is going to be done with. This rotting corpse that we carry around in the flesh, this awful nagging voice that coaxes us into disobedience, it has a day. It has an end to its life, an end to its, its eviction. It will come out. It will be secured. But for now, we wait. And if that guy living in our dream house is going to make our life miserable, we're going to make his life miserable back. We're going to kill sin. Constant conflict, struggle, war is waged, but the verdict does not change. We know the victory is won. Look back at Romans 7. Wretched man that I am, Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from this struggle, this war that I'm having? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Struggle? Yes. Conflict? Yes. But no condemnation for those who are in Christ? Yes. Which leads us to our third point. We are Holy Spirit people. Romans 7, 9 through 11. John Piper gives this wonderful illustration of what this new birth or this transformation looks like. He says it's not uh, like a Christian. It's not like a Christian, like a Republican becomes a Democrat or a Democrat becomes a Republican where you can switch back and forth. He says it's more like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. 
The law of God comes to the caterpillar and it says this. It says, fly. Fly, caterpillar. And John Piper says the caterpillar now has three responses. One, it can sink in despair and say, I can't fly. I'm a caterpillar. There's no hope. There's no hope. Secondly, it can soar in self-deceit and say, I am flying. I am flying. The ground is beneath me. I am flying. Or thirdly, it can do what St. Augustine did, and it can cry out, Lord, command what you will and grant what you command. Make me a butterfly, O God. Make me a butterfly. I want to soar. Now consider how the butterfly receives the law. The law now comes to the butterfly, and it says, fly, butterfly, fly, soar, be free. And the butterfly feels no burden. It feels no guilt. It feels no fear. It just does what it's made to do. It flies. It knows nothing else. It flies, and it's most free when it's following that command to fly. It soars, and every flap of its wing sings to the grace of God. I like to ask people this. Are you more flesh or spirit as a believer? And all of us are good little Christians, and we will struggle with this. Because we'll go, well, I know my own sin. Oh, my word, I know my own sin. I know what I've been captive to. I know, I know what I struggle with. I want to say sin. I want to say I'm more sin because I'm so sinful. I know it. But the Bible says if you are in Christ, you are Holy Spirit. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are winning. Sanctification is actually working. And so sins I dealt with 10 years ago are not the same sins I deal with now. Praise the Lord. Praise God for that. Therefore, your current experience or your current struggle with sin doesn't define, again, your heavenly verdict. What God has declared from the throne room of heaven defines who you are. Therefore, what does the Bible say? Repent. Repent. Repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be diligent to make your calling and election sure. The very fact that you struggle at all, that you ache at all, that you weep at all of your sin, is a great sign that the Holy Spirit is working within you. Why? Because the text says the unbeliever has very little to no conflict with sin because their minds are set on the flesh. This is why many, many sit in pews. They sit behind, they preach behind pulpits. And then they come out and we find that they've been living this, this alternate life that we never would have expected. And, and they're, they're, they're meeting with girlfriends and boyfriends. They're having these secret past, these lives that we had no clue about. And they only seem sorry that they got caught. Not sorry enough that they would flee to Christ. That they would repent and be changed. It's not that they somehow devolved from a butterfly back into a chrysalis, back to a caterpillar. It's that they were simply a caterpillar all along. You do not go from shackles to freedom and then back to shackles. Those whom the sun sets free are free indeed. Once and for all freedom. Once and for all new creations. Once and for all sons and daughters. Which leads us to our final point. We are not slaves, but heirs. This is Romans 8, 12 through 17. You see, the final lie in Satan's false gospel is this. You can get kicked out of the family. And let me tell you, if my salvation... And your salvation was dependent solely on me being a perfect son or you being a perfect daughter. This would be true. 
John MacArthur, the pastor, says, if I could lose my salvation, I would have done it by now. You see, it's not about my grip or your grip on Jesus Christ. It's about his grip on us. It's about him carrying us. It's about him leading us. But Satan doesn't actually want you to hear that. He doesn't actually want you to believe no condemnation. He doesn't want you to believe in unmerited grace and favor. He wants you to constantly doubt your name on the birth certificate. He wants you to daily go, does God really love me? Does God really love me? Could he really love a sinner like me? Am I really saved? Will I ever truly be free of this or that? Why am I not reading my Bible enough? Why am I not praying enough? Why I'm just the worst person. God could never love me. Have you ever heard anyone say that? God could never love me. God doesn't love me. And this also causes us to constantly check not only ourselves, but other people for fruit. Well, are they bearing good fruit? Do they have outward signs of fruit? Is their fruit being bare? What, are we seeing that? Well, I don't know if that person is really a Christian. Are they really a Christian? I don't, as, as if we were God, as if we could search men and women's hearts, as if, as if we know their relationship. I always think that one of the most surprising things about heaven will not be who's missing, but who actually made it in. The fact that I'm going to walk those streets of gold is just amazing grace. Knowing what I knew about myself. Knowing my past. Knowing that I will see your faces there. It will be testimony to God's grace that we made it in. That we were there. Because you see, the gospel is not something we do. It's a declaration of something that's been done for us. You'll hear people say, we just need to live the gospel. We just need to be the gospel. We just need to go do the gospel. But that's actually a category error. As Christians, having already been saved, we're now actually to do the law. You see, we're saved from the law by God's grace to do the law. (laughs) To do it freely, not out of guilt, but out of gratitude. This gospel is an announcement of victory on our behalf. It's not a call for us to go and win Christ's battles for him. He's already won the battle. Now we are to go and profess that victory. Doing the law is expected of those who love the king. Obeying the law is expected of those who love their father. But living the law is not good news. It's a result of having received and believed the good news. A tree does not bear fruit because it's commanded to bear fruit. No farmer says, now you better bear apples. You better get those apples going. A tree bears fruit because it's in its DNA to do so. It cannot help but bear apples. It cannot help but do what God has commanded it to do. And a Christian obeys the law not because it's commanded to, because, because it's all I can do. I want to wake up and I want to please my father. He commands me to obey and I go, yes, Lord, yes, yes. Command what you will and grant me the ability to do it. I want to please you. I want others to come in. I want them to know about you. It's in my spiritual DNA now. I've been born again. So that the Bible says we're now free to do the works that he has what? Prepared in advance for us to do. He's already laid out the good work for us to do. We just got to go do it. Think of it lastly this way. A child who's adopted doesn't do anything to earn that adoption. They're simply loved. They're invited. They're received into the family. Their only job now is to enter the home, accept the love that's given, 
and obey and enjoy the family, enjoy the family life. The person who hears the proclamation of God's promise from Genesis to Revelation of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, give them everlasting life solely on a basis of God's unmerited grace and favor. That person's responsibility is simply to receive that good news, believe that good news, rest in that good news, and proclaim that good news. We're witnesses to Christ's redeeming work. We're witnesses to what God has done. So now, as I close, what am I going to do? I want you to hear the good news. I want you to receive it. In Christ, there is now no condemnation. The wrath of God that you and I deserved has been absorbed by Christ on the cross. Victory has been won, accomplished, imputed to us who believe. The Holy Spirit is now given to us as a deposit. The Bible says as a down payment. It's a sign. It's a seal guaranteeing our inheritance as adopted sons and daughters of the King of Kings. And it is now by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's a gift. And since God has declared you righteous in Christ, in order for him to toss you out of his family, he'd have to toss out Jesus himself. Which is never going to happen. You and Jesus are so united and connected that nothing will ever be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Receive it. Hear it. Believe it. Rest in it today. Go out these doors, free as a bird, free as a butterfly, fly. What does Christ say from the cross? It is finished. That's good news. No condemnation.